Our family of listeners is growing every week. Thanks for listening live and through all our digital broadcasting channels. Spread the word to your friends to join our weekly conversation. It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions, our website, ChristianQuestions.com. Here's Rick and Jonathan. William Shakespeare once said, Sweet mercy is nobility's true badge. Welcome to Christian Questions. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. You might say that ours is a long-term approach, as we've been broadcasting the good news of the gospel for over 19 years. And I'm Jonathan, and that long-term different perspective has its basis in three things. Godly principles, family values, honest dialogue, always done in a politically free zone. Rick, today is our 1007th broadcast, and we've talked the gospel with listeners on several talk radio stations throughout the eastern and central United States for many years. And we figured it was time to bring the good news to the whole world by way of podcasting, so here we are. We thank you for joining us today. This is a contact-friendly format, and we welcome your thoughts via email, website messages, Facebook, and our chat board. So let's get started. Jonathan, what's the subject on the table today? Well, Rick, our question is, do we have to turn the other cheek? And our theme text is found in Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 and 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. So, do we have to turn the other cheek? You know, Jonathan, life has really changed. With all of the amazing connectedness we have through social media, we are more alone than ever. We see people via FaceTime, but we can't touch them. We chat without talking, we like without truly feeling emotion, we follow without knowing where we're going, and we join without ever going anywhere. As a result, all of this non-active activity When someone crosses us in any of these virtual environments, we can snap back at them in so many ways without having to actually face them. We can tweet, post, Instagram, email, text, all with anonymity. Funny, Jesus specifically taught us to turn the other cheek, not to virtually smack them upside their head. (laughs) (laughs) What does turning the other cheek even mean, and how do we apply it in both our real and virtual worlds? Is this teaching of Jesus still as relevant and powerful today as it was centuries ago? So, Jonathan, it's a pretty big, pretty important question we have on the table. And, folks, it's always our objective with each subject we choose to approach it in a biblical and very relevant, practical way. We search out the original context of the scriptures that we cite, try to find their true meaning, and combine those scriptures with the pressing issues of our day to give you something to really think about. And don't forget, simply go to ChristianQuestions.com and click Listen Live for the live audio and chat room. Chat with fellow listeners around the world, and we may even include your comments on air. So, Jonathan, as we get started with this subject, you know, uh, do we have to turn the other cheek? What did Jesus mean by that? I mean, are we supposed to stand there and get beat up? That's really kind of what it sounds like. Let's start with a, um, an individual. His name is John Lovell. He is a self-defense uh, teacher, okay? He teaches all kinds of, you know, physical self-defense. 
and he has this YouTube videos called Self-Defense and Turning the Other Cheek. And he brings up some interesting points that I think we just want to put on the table as we begin. Um, like the peaceful protests of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Mahatma Gandhi, uh, the Tank Man in Tiananmen Square, uh, the greatest example of um, Jesus who are suffering rebuke uh, and they're doing so peacefully. Um, in Matthew 5, and that's what, what kind of inspired this I was reading, it was talking about turning the other cheek. If somebody strikes one cheek, turn to the other one as well. So my question is, is which one of these requires you to be a stronger man, to run, to fight, or to take it? Which one of these requires you to be stronger? Uh, two, what is the greater opportunity to show love and compassion? And three, what does the most damage to the other person? So it's an interesting, now there's a self-defense guy. So he's, he's saying, okay, so does it do more damage to let the guy beat on you to the other person? And that's a weird question. And um, we're not going to follow him all the way through on that, but it's just an interesting thought. And so, you know, he's a, he's a self-defense teacher and he's talking about turning the other cheek and the power of turning the other cheek. And he mentioned Matthew 5. He mentioned several individuals, Martin Luther King Jr., Mahatma Gandhi, and um, the power of their nonviolent resistance. And is that what Jesus was talking about? That's what we want to get into. So let's get started with the context. So, so Jonathan, we're going to begin um, looking at Matthew 5 because that's where the, the turning the other cheek verse appears. The beginning of Matthew 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. And you know what everybody thinks about when they think about the Sermon on the Mount, right? Yeah. It's all of the... Uh, blessed are you know blessed are the peacemakers you know yep. and all all of those blessings blessed is blessed is right. the salt of the earth right okay yeah. so much of this lesson was the 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 attitude that should provoke our action blessed blessed are you if you know having that hum, hum, humble attitude up front then he goes into, you are the salt of the earth. Let your light shine. And the themes of the first 16 verses. So you've got these first 16 verses in Matthew chapter 5. And they're setting a context. So let, let, let's kind of conclude those verses just with verse 16. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So Rick, it sounds like a higher standard. It does. And it's kind of like a conclusion. You know, blessed are you if you, you're persecuted and, you know, if you're meek and meek inherit the earth and on, on and on and on and, and you're the salt of the earth. And it's concluding. You see, your light is shining before men if you do these things. But it's also this idea of letting your light shine is an introduction to the next section of teaching. So we all look with at, at, at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes with awe, and we should. But Jonathan, they're just a small part of a much bigger, even more powerful lesson. So let's go beyond the Sermon on the Mount here. So next, this next section is a critical transition in, in, in Matthew chapter 5. Up to this point, Jesus has been building his followers' understanding of Christianity based on the principles of righteousness and love. You notice in the first part of Matthew 5, all the blesseds and being the salt of the earth and, and letting your light shine, he's not necessarily quoting the law. He's just telling them, this is the way you should be. This is the way you should act. He has not yet referred his disciples base, uh, to his disciples' base of spiritual understanding, which was the law. So he's getting their hearts and minds set up. 
And now, in the next section of Matthew 5, he's going to use the law as a basis for that. He's going to now address it, the law, and carefully build his reason upon the base of the Jewish law. And, you know, we always think, well, wait a minute. Jesus, didn't Jesus nail the law to the cross? Yes, he did. Then why would he be building his teaching based on the law? Because he fulfilled it. He didn't throw it away. He fulfilled it. And he took what it was there meant to show us and said, here's how you really live it in the highest way. So the law is important to the Christian. So Yes, it is. Matthew 5, uh, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. So, Jonathan, there's a lot in that particular verse. Jesus says, I didn't come to abolish it. I came to fulfill it. Now, that can be confusing because, you know, sometimes we look at what Jesus did and we say, as Christians, are we supposed to be following the, the whole law, the whole Jewish law? We're not perfect. He was. <laughs> right. But, but he wasn't telling us as Christians to follow the Jewish law. You know, the law we all often think of as Ten Commandments. Well, that, that was the overview of the law. There's actually 613 aspects to the law in the Old Testament. Wow. So there's a lot of details, a lot of rituals, and Jesus fulfilled them. He says, I, I come with utter respect for the law that God gave you in this imperfect world. I will fulfill it, and I'm going to show you how to live at a higher level now, above the need for the rituals. And this is important. So this is where he's bringing us. And what has this got to do with turning the other cheek? Everything. Because turning the other cheek is not something you're going to find in the law. You find a lot about mercy and all of those things, but you don't find that. So where do we, how do we get there from here? We watch Jesus. In this next themed reasoning in Matthew 5, Jesus is going to do three things, Jonathan. What's the first one? Well, Rick, first he clarifies the value of the law. And second, he builds up the base of the law to bring out the deeper meaning of the spirit of the law. Okay, let, let's, let's pause there for a second. Okay. He's going to clarify the value of the law. And, and I can't stress this enough. Jesus isn't beating down the law. He's telling us how valuable it is and what an important role it has played for everyone because it's his guideline. Get that? It's Jesus' own guideline. So he's clarifying the value of it, and then he's saying, okay, now I'm going to show you how to build on the base of the law like you've never seen before. And what's the, what's the third aspect here? He specifically compares the actual law and some of its interpretations with his higher teaching. So through the next several verses of Matthew chapter 5, actually from verse 20 all the way down to verse 44, there's going to be a lot of comparing going on in these verses. And he's going to set the stage for comparing uh, with Matthew 5, verse 20. So let, let, let's go to that verse, Jonathan. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Rick, I can imagine the disciples going, did you hear that? Yeah. What? <laughs> Higher than 
the scribes and Pharisees? That's impossible. Well, and, and you know, you're right. They would be sitting there thinking, did, did I get that right? Our righteousness has to surpass theirs because in terms of the average person, when the, when the Pharisees came into town and walked by, everybody stopped and gawked at them. They were dressed differently. They spoke differently. They acted differently. What they said, you listened to. And, you know, you looked at them in a different way. And Jesus is saying, your righteousness has to surpass theirs. It doesn't make sense. It's like, it doesn't. <laughs> what are we sitting here listening to this for? Because it is impossible. What they didn't understand is much of what the Pharisees were doing. Not everything, but much for many of those Pharisees was all an act. It was an all an outside look, not a rea reality of the heart, but a look of the outside so people could gawk at you and say, wow, look how great that person is, when in reality, inside, there was something very, very different going on. And Jesus is going to show us that in these next several verses. So he uses this comparison uh, shows us this comparison through the phrase, but I say to you. Now remember, in Matthew 5.20, just the first four words of Matthew 5.20 were what? For I say to you. <laughs> okay, for I say to you. This is starting a pattern of speech. Jesus is going to now do this comparison by saying, but I say to you, throughout these next several verses. But I say to you, was not only lifting the law to a higher standard, but it was also going to correct the misuse of, of the law by the Pharisees. So he's going to show the average person, specifically his disciples who are listening, but the average person is listening sort of in the background. He's going to show them what it really means to, to, to truly fulfill the law. So he says a lot of things, and Jonathan, we're going to kind of breeze through these a little bit. So he's going to say, but I say to you several times. In verse 20 says, 22, he says, but I say to you what? Don't carry your anger. And obviously that means forgive. Okay. So don't get all twisted up inside of your own anger. You got to learn to let it go. You see, the Pharisees didn't teach them that necessarily. Verse 28, he says, but I say to you, what? Do not lust. And Rick, there's many types of idols that we could lust after. Okay. And a big part of that is lusting man after woman. Okay, he was oh, sure. very specific in a big part of, of that specific uh, picture of do not lust. And again, it was the idea of what goes on, on inside of your heart is just as important as what you do on the outside. This is not something they learned elsewhere. In verse 32, he says, but I say to you, what? Do not inappropriately divorce. And Rick, adultery is the only reason scripturally for divorce. So, uh, you know, you, you have this important teaching. And again, the, 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 the Pharisees wouldn't have taught them that. They wouldn't have taught them that. And so Jesus is raising the standards even higher, making life even more difficult, if you will. But he's also making it more pure. He goes on in verse 34 again. He says, but I say to you, what? Let your yes be yes. And I was thinking, Rick, don't be a man pleaser. Right. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Be firm. Be clear. Be committed to whatever it is that you say you believe in and what you are, you, you are doing or, or, or attempting to do or, or have a mind to do. He continues, but I say to you in verse 39, what? 
turn the other cheek, our subject. Okay. And you're not going to tell me any more on that, are you? No, I'm not. <laughs> you have a lot to tell on that. <laughs> right. And again, folks, you know, we're, we're building the big context around what turn the other cheek actually means. And finally, in verse 44, he says again, but I say to you, what? Love your neighbor. And Rick, we know that's the second part of fulfilling the law. And the first is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Okay. So the but I say to you is Jesus raising the standard, whether it was the actual law that was being quoted or an interpretation of the law that was being quoted. Either way, Jesus is saying, you've heard this, but I say this. Bigger, higher standard for you. So what is our cheek turning lesson at this point turning the other cheek is one small part of a much bigger life lesson and you know if we can get that right from the beginning understand that the whole idea of turning the other cheek is we oftentimes pull that verse out and and treat it as a standalone verse we have spent this entire segment building step by step the context that brought us to it and what we're seeing, Jonathan, is it is in, intertwined with an incredible, profound set of teachings that Jesus is putting out here for us. So now that we know the context, we can start figuring out what turning the other cheek really does mean. That's exactly the direction we are going. Jesus said not to resist an evil person. Did he mean for us to just stand there and bite him? You know what's great about subscribing to Christian Questions on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. You receive a push notification reminder every time a new episode is published. Plus, it's a good thing to binge listen to several episodes in a row. Really easy playlist features. And you can auto-download new episodes to your phone every week. So subscribe today. Now let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. This is a really huge question, and answering it will directly impact how we come to understand the whole turning the other cheek thing. To really absorb what Jesus is saying, we would logically have to go back into the Old Testament and examine the part of the law that he references. So that's what we're going to need to do here. We're going to need to go back and examine what Jesus is referring us to. We want to remind our listeners to go to our homepage at christianquestions.com and sign up for our brand new weekly newsletter. S sign up today and this week you'll receive the Seek Rewind for this program plus access to every rewind in our website and our CQ app. We also give you a sneak peek at next week's topic plus videos at our favorite social media picture of the week, christianquestions.com to sign up for the weekly newsletter. Okay, good. And, you know, that, that's a really important aspect of this, the, the weekly newsletter. Again, christianquestions.com is where you can find it or at uh, on our CQ app. And if you don't have the app, folks, what are you waiting for? It's a great, great, great tool for you. Uh, Jonathan, I want to go to Soundbite now uh, from a movie about Gandhi. It was a movie that was made in 1982 called Gandhi. Um, ben Kinsley uh, played Gandhi. And this is a protest speech that uh, that he is giving. And there's a little bit of harsh language in here, but he's describing how the Indian people are going to be looked at uh, due to some British laws because the, 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 the British uh, governmental uh, um, agencies didn't want them to have rights. 
So a little bit of harsh language here, but it makes an important point. Let us begin by being clear about General Smuts' new law. All Indians must now be fingerprinted, like criminals, men and women. No marriage other than a Christian marriage is considered valid. Under this act, our wives and mothers are whores, and every man here is a bastard. That doesn't sound like a turning the other cheek crowd, does it? No, it doesn't. So, you know, he's talking about the facts of the oppression that the people, the Indian people, were experiencing then. And now this is a factual story. And we all know the story of Gandhi and how he actually overcame through passive resistance. But he, at the beginning, laid out what it was they had to face. And there's great power and great profound thought in understanding what it is that you face. So when we say, you know, turn the other cheek, we need to understand exactly what that means. So, Jonathan, let's go now to uh, Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Okay, simple verse, okay? You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. Now, there are several references in the Old Testament that use this phrase, eye for eye, Tooth for tooth. So let's, we're going to just pick out one in the interest of time. Let's go to Leviticus 24, 17 through 20. If a man takes the life of another human being, he shall surely be put to death. The one who takes the life of an animal shall make it good, life for life. If a man injures his neighbor, just as he has done, so it shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Just as he has injured a man, so it shall be inflicted on Okay, so the Old Testament verse um, is, is giving us a sense that there is uh, a, a very clear system in place. It is justice, it is clear, it is simple, straightforward. You do this, you get that. You do this, you get that. And those things seem to always weigh the same. Um, um, Jonathan, just a, a quick side light. Jewel, minimize the picture a little bit and see if that helps. Uh, Jonathan, let's go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 39. And uh, just now we're going to get to getting close to our actual real verse. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Okay, Rick, uh, do not resist an evil person. What does that mean? <laughs> and see, that's an important question. Jesus is saying, do not resist an evil person. And again, if you pull that phrase out of Scripture and you, you parade it all by itself, you're going to end up with something very different than what Jesus meant. So we want to find out what was the original intention of the statement. What was it that Jesus was saying that was so important to place right here after saying, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, but I say to you, but I am going to raise the standard higher, and here's how. I'm going to say to you, not an eye for an eye, a tooth for tooth, but do not resist an evil person. So, Jonathan, just what does it mean to resist, and then what does it mean evil? Well, Rick, to resist is to stand against, 
that is opposed, to set oneself against, to withstand, resist, and for evil or evildoer, hurtful, that is evil, figuratively calamitous, also passively, that is disease, but especially morally culpable for derelict or vicious. Okay, so it doesn't, it, you know, you, you're, you're, you're looking at this and saying, do not stand, do not oppose someone who is doing all of this stuff, you know, in an evil way. And, and, and you think about that and say, wait, 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 how is that possible? Why would Jesus not want us to stand against that? Well, the question you have to ask yourself, is that really what Jesus is saying here? Okay, so here is where the confusion can begin. And because we're given many scriptures that tell us it's appropriate to resist. So, Jonathan, let's go to James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Okay, so simple. Here's resist in action. Submit yourselves to God. Resist. Same word where it said, where Jesus said, do not resist. James is saying, resist the devil. So, is James contradicting Jesus? No, no, of course not. This is why we have to understand Scripture in its context, in its bigger picture. Another example of resist in action when we're told to resist. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Okay, you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Withstand what? Withstand not just Satan, but all evil. Withstand in the evil day. So we're told in Ephesians by the Apostle Paul, we're told in James by James, you should resist. So Jesus is saying do not resist an evil person. There's got to be a difference. So to get to that, to get to the understanding that helps this all start to make sense, Again, reviewing the Old Testament text from which Jesus quotes and defining the words that you just did, Jonathan, for us, uh, that Jesus used, it's easier to see that Jesus is saying not to not stand up against evil, but he's saying not to get tangled up with getting even, tangled up getting back at someone, tangled up wanting to do another hurt or harm because we've been hurt. And Rick, that sounds very childish, doesn't it? Well, it does. You know, and, and you say, well, of course we wouldn't want to get tangled up like that. But folks, we do it all the time. And in the age of social media, goodness gracious, it is so easy to be dark and evil and insulting and degrading and, and, and um, critical because there's no, there's, there, there's no face-to-face. So when you say, geez, that sounds childish, you're right. But you know what? We, as a society, have become childish. So <laughs> what are you supposed to do with that? Not, <laughs> do, not do it, okay? So, so here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, when, it, when, when we're talking about don't entangle yourselves with getting even, with getting back and so forth, he's saying, here's a new response. Not eye for eye, tooth for tooth. For tooth. But instead, don't get tangled up in all of the mess. Don't get emotionally, personally involved with evening the score. 
That's what he's saying. Do not resist an evil person. Because when someone comes at you to persecute you, you know, the intention generally... Have you ever known persecution to be good-intentioned? No. (laughs) (laughs) It isn't. So, you know, Jesus is saying when those things happen... Don't don't get involved. Don't don't persecute back. Don't say, "Oh yeah, well you take this." You know, he's saying you have got to be different. You've got to completely rise above these things. So, let's clarify it a little further. More clarity can be found when we observe how Jesus told his followers to respond to hatred. Okay? You know, we're talking about not resisting an evil person. Now let's get into downright outright hatred. Matthew 10 verses 22 and 23. You will be hated by all because of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who will be saved. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly, I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel without the Son of Man comes. Okay, so here he says, okay, you will be hated because of my name, um, but if you endure to the end, you'll, you'll have salvation. And then Jonathan, verse 23 Just reread verse 23. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. So, he, you know, it sounds like he's saying, whenever they persecute you in one city, run away. So is Jesus teaching us to tuck our tails and hide when when the heat turns up? Because doesn't it sound like that when you just read that? It, it It does sound like that. And so is that what Jesus is teaching us? Now, folks, think about it. Jesus is teaching us to be cowards, to when things get a little tough, run away, quick, hurry up, hide, hide. Is that what he's saying? No, no, no. See, here's the thing. I think what he's saying, he's not saying run away from the persecution, run away from the temptation to persecute back. Run away from retaliating. Run away from escalating a situation out of control. And, you know, we can see that the Apostle Paul was a good example of this because in some of his ministry, remember, he was being persecuted at times, and he stood up to them and said, you know, you know stop it. And he got himself in a lot of trouble, but he didn't back down. He didn't, he didn't persecute, but he informed. So I think when Jesus says, flee to the next city, what he's saying is, be about your father's business. Don't get tangled up in the mess of getting back at people. And don't be so discouraged that you forget your mission. Right, 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 right. You know, the mission is the most important thing. Jesus is saying, you don't have time to face off with those who do you harm. Simply continue the work which you're commissioned to do. You have work that's bigger than showing them who's boss. And Rick, that hatred can even happen in the brotherhood, which is very sad, uh, which it's definitely not Christ-like, but you have to rise above it. And, you know, and that's an unfortunate point (laughs) that you bring up, because, you know, what we would like to be able to say is, well, at least here we have a place where we can be completely um, free of those things. But the problem, Jonathan... Here's the problem. It's a secret, okay? What is it? I'm not perfect. (laughs) It's really not a secret, actually. (laughs) Matter of fact, everybody knows that. But, I mean, the point is that because we're still imperfect 
And even though we, we, we want God's Spirit, you know, to be working in us and, you know, we believe God's Spirit is working in us and through us, sometimes we can still override God's Spirit and we can still put ourselves in front instead of the work and that's where we get ourselves messed up. And that's like what you said. That, that's where we can have the problem of the, the, the persecution being internal. And goodness, that's, that's way, way off of what we need to be. So again, it's about turning the other cheek. Now, notice we haven't talked about turning the other cheek yet. No, we haven't. <laughs> We're just warming up to it by being on this verse that says, what does it mean to not resist an evil person? And again, it's don't get involved in tit for tat. Don't get involved in getting back and getting even and telling them and showing them and you know puffing out your chest when they puff out theirs. Don't, don't do that. Even greater clarity can be found in Jesus' own response, his own response. You know, the best way to figure out what Jesus is teaching us, watch what he did. Matthew 26, 51 to 53. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus reached and drew out his sword and struck the slave of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all those who take up the sword shall perish by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? So Jesus, when Peter stood up with the sword and, and, and cut off Malchus's ear, uh, he said, you know, enough. This is not what I'm about. So he showed us to not get involved in saying to the others, oh yeah, you think you're so tough? Well, watch this. And the most beautiful thing about this story, Jonathan, we didn't even quote, is what? When Jesus healed the ear? Yes. <laughs> he, he, put, he heals the ear of his enemy, of, of one of the men who's there to come to persecute him and to torment and to torture him and to eventually put him to death. He heals him. That is what it means to not resist an evil person. And to me, that's, that, that's a powerful thing. Being obedient to our call to sacrifice is the most important thing. So, so Jonathan, at this point, what's our cheek-turning lesson for this particular segment? Well, Rick, turning the other cheek is based on the premise that we know and commit to the preeminence of living sacrificially first and foremost. Okay. We know and commit to the preeminence of living sacrificially. And Jonathan, when you live sacrificially, what that means is that you are living in a way where um, something is more important than your own will. Something bigger is more important than your own thoughts. Something stronger is more important than your own emotions. That's what it really truly means to live sacrificially. So it's, it's a real, real test for us to understand turning the other cheek is based on not resisting, not getting entangled with the evil of the people around us because it's really easy, you know? And, you know, and, and gossip is a really low form of this kind of thing. You know, gossip is just talk, which is, can be very, very damaging. We're talking much more about actions, but it's the same principle. It's, if it's easy to get involved in gossip. It's easy to get involved in the wrangling with people as well. So here it is, okay, as we wrap up this segment. Okay, so getting even, eh, really not so good. What are the specifics of turning the other cheek? That's the question we need to address right now. Is turning the other cheek literal or symbolic? Should we be willing to get smacked in the face? Ow. 
Sometimes our questions and commentary can get complicated. That's part of having a thorough discussion. We'd love to hear your opinion. Contact us now at ChristianQuestions.com. Comment through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or our app. Just when you thought we may be figuring this out, let's get more complicated. Okay, all right. At the risk of seeming to play both sides, I will say that turning the other cheek is primarily symbolic, but it certainly can be fulfilled literally as well. Okay, that's playing both sides. There you go. Putting all of this in order has everything to do with absorbing not only the context of what the statement was, but also the language and the symbols of the time at which Jesus spoke. It's not just the words, Jonathan. It's the language. It's the symbols of the time. So before we get into all of that, let's go back to the movie Gandhi. Again, put out in 1982. Um, really a great, great movie. A very inspiring. Ben Kinsley plays the, the part of Gandhi. And this is that protest speech. And remember in the first segment that we listened to the, 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 the first part of the protest speech, he's explaining that they are looked at as, as um, all, all um, uh, unrighteous individuals just by their very nature, according to these British laws that they're, they're facing. The crowd is not liking what they're hearing. Uh, let's listen. Let's listen to the right one. And a policeman passing an Indian dwelling, huh, I will not call them homes, may enter and demand the card of any Indian woman whose dwelling it is. Understand? He does not have to stand at the door. He may enter. I'll kill the man who offers that insult to my home and my wife. And let them hang me. It's interesting. We just talked about Jesus saying, don't, you know, resist not an evildoer. And we're saying, don't get entangled in all of the mess. And that's a classic example right there of a very natural reaction from the crowd because they're saying, what, what, what's happening with this is their rights of privacy are dissolved absolutely dissolved and they and you know and and especially in those days back in the earlier 1900s you know the 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 privacy of their wives was especially especially sacred to them and for some foreigner to just be able to walk into their house and not have any consequence was too much for them and so you could hear the reaction and and the gut feeling is we're going to get them. We're going to get them for this. They can't get away with this. We're going to stand up. We're going to fight them. Go ahead. Let them hang me. I'll kill them first. You know, that's what the people were feeling. And Jonathan, I got to tell you, it was a justified feeling. So Gandhi, we know, was, you know, overcame through pacifism. We're going to have to see how he gets to that point with this particular crowd. Okay, with all of that in place, let's now get to the... Um, turn the other cheek. Matthew 5.39, let's read that verse again. But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Okay. You know, there's something interesting about this verse that I don't know that ever gets talked about nearly enough. First of all, whoever slaps you. Now, this is a pretty straightforward statement. And if you want to look up the words, it really means what it says. 
Okay, whoever slaps you. And Rick, it also means it could be a strike with a rod or a staff. Right. So literally getting smacked in the face with a rod or a staff or the open hand. A slap, a literal slap. That's what we're talking about. But it's interesting. The next phrase is where we need to begin to ask the questions. It says, whoever slaps you where? On the right cheek. All right. Now, Jonathan, why not the left cheek? <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> okay. Does this mean if we're hit on the left cheek that we can hit him back? I mean, Or all bets are off. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, think about that. I mean, because Jesus is being very specific. Whoever slaps you on the right cheek, then he says, turn to him the other. So if you're going to get hit, you make sure they hit you on the left cheek first so you can have permission? I mean, is that what Jesus is saying? So why the right cheek, Rick? And that's a really, really important question. And again, when we pull this verse out of its context and just put it all by itself, we can create all kinds of meanings. But when we put it back in its context and let it sit where it belongs, the meaning is actually going to bring itself forward. So let's go back just a few verses before. Let's go back a few verses. Matthew 5, verses 29 and 30. Um, again, this is still Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into Gehenna. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for the whole body to go into Gehenna. Okay, so Jonathan, is Jesus teaching us to mutilate ourselves? No, he's not. <laughs> okay, and you sound pretty sure of yourself. It's symbolic. <laughs> of course it's symbolic. Jesus is not telling us to, to, to tear our eyes out and to cut our hands off. He's not saying that. But it's interesting that in Matthew 5, 29 and 30, the recurring theme is the right eye and the right hand. So it's always the right. So what has that got to do with anything here? Because it's the right eye, the right hand, and then a few verses later, it comes up the right cheek. So what's the, what's the, what's the sense of that, Jonathan? What was the right side from a biblical standpoint? Well, Rick, throughout the Bible, it was always considered the side of honor, power, and authority. The right hand of the throne of God. How about that phrase? Yeah, no, that's, 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 a, that's the place of power, right? That's right. It's a symbol of the most highly honored place, the scepter. The symbol of power and authority is in his right hand. Okay, and so the idea of the right side gave you the sense of the strongest power and strongest authority, and that's the best place you could be. And Rick, we have more on the bonus material on this. So go to ChristianQuestions.com, hit the newsletter sign-up tab, and register for CQ Rewind, uh, the outline full of graphics, illustrations, plus that wonderful bonus material. So in the bonus material of the Rewind for this particular week, we've got a whole section on, on the right side. And Jonathan, it's really amazing because that was an incredibly powerful symbol. And you can't, you can't stress it enough. And I believe that, um, if I remember right, uh, when Zacharias was in the temple 
uh, you know, doing his work and the angel appeared to him to, to announce that he was going to have a son, the angel appeared on the right side, on the right side of the altar, I, I believe. Oh, that's interesting. You know, again, power and authority. So you've got this sense of power and authority. And so, you know, we've got to now start to put this together. So the word right does mean right, as in the right side, you know, not right, right versus left. But it's interesting if we look at the clarification of that word in the Greek-English lexicon. So, so what does the Greek-English lexicon add to the physical, literal definition of the word right? Well, Rick, it actually says it's a metaphor and it's a place of honor or authority. Very interesting. And it makes it much simpler now, doesn't it? Because it does. you have that sense of a metaphor, and then a few verses before you have Jesus saying, if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out. Sim- symbolic language, obviously. If your right hand uh, offends you, you know, cut it off. Symbolic lang- language, obviously. The cutting it off is symbolic language, and the right hand is also symbolic. So now we've got to look at that and say, okay, what's he really saying? Because when we quote the verse about turn the other cheek, it's specific about the right cheek. So Jesus teaches us that he's building a prepare for the kingdom thought pattern here. Wait, wait, a prepare for the kingdom thought pattern? This is really important because this is the essence of turn the other cheek. He is giving us a prepare for the kingdom thought pattern. We're going to come back to this phrase again and again, prepare for the kingdom thought pattern throughout the rest of the podcast, because that's what turn the other cheek really means. It's a prepare for the kingdom thought pattern. And this whole section of Matthew 5 that we're in right now focuses on the absolute importance of self-control in any and all circumstances. The absolute, unbelievable, clear, unequivocal importance of self-control. So let's go through the three aspects of the right side that we talked about in the scripture. First, Jonathan, your right eye. What, give us a sense of, of what, you know, what the self-control aspect is there. Well, the source of your most powerful and authoritative observations. If it brings you to lust, then be rid of such powerful and authoritative observations. So your right eye would be a symbol of your most powerful, your strongest, your highest, your best you. Okay, and, and so Jesus is saying, if that in any way brings you to inappropriate desire, then get rid of it. it just, Cut it off. Right. It just doesn't belong. Don't, don't stifle it. Don't coddle it and say, oh, no, no, you can't have desire here. He says, cut it off. He says, get rid of it. This is prepare for the kingdom thought. That's what this is. This is raising the bar way, way higher than we ever imagined. So the right eye, the things that you see, the things that you observe um, have got to be in line with Christ's likeness. Your right hand, what about that? The source of your most powerful and authoritative actions. If it brings you to any measure of compromised experience, then be rid of such powerful and authoritative actions. So you keep using those words, powerful and authoritative. 
and, and there's a reason for that, because the right side was the side of power, the side of authority, the hand of the, the scepter in the right hand, standing at the right hand of the power of God. I mean, that's where the power and authority lies. So your right hand is that's where your, your hands symbolize actions, your biggest, strongest, best actions. And if they bring you to any compromised experience at all, and because, Jonathan, and because we're imperfect, they it can. It will. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So if it's going to, what are we supposed to do? Cut it off. Don't coddle it. Don't say, okay, well, you know, you're going to have to use a little bit more self-control here. I mean, this is, this, is, this is tough stuff. This is where the rubber really meets the road for a Christian. Don't leave the door open for Satan to work on you over and over in these weaknesses. Stand, stop, and move away. Did you hear that? Stand, stop and move away. See, stand means I'm ready. Stop means, okay, time to change, and then move away. It's a change of direction. It's a clear, concise uh, uh, expression of Jesus. Cut it off. Do not give it a moment's worth of thought or action. So your right eye, what you see, your right hand, what you do in your highest, strongest, most powerful way. Your right cheek now, what is, what, what, what's the symbol there? Well, Rick, the most powerful and authoritative representation of yourself. If someone humiliates this representation of you, then accept it with grace, for this is sacrifice. So I think with the right cheek, if he says, if someone smites you, someone slaps you on the right cheek, it's that metaphor for someone utterly humiliating and insulting your highest, best self. And, and, and Jonathan, that's hard to take. Oh, it is. And, and you know, if you've ever had the experience of, of, you know, pouring yourself into something and trying to do good and really working at it, and then somebody looking at what you've worked on and said, you know, well, basically you're the devil. <laughs> that, th- that's what they did to Jesus. You're right. That's what they did to Jesus. We can have an experience like that, but it's like an eyedrop experience compared to what Jesus went through. You know, we get an eyedropper's full. Jesus got the whole container. And when, you, when your highest, strongest, best self is humiliated, Jesus is saying, do not entertain feelings of getting back at them. He's accept it. The eclectic notes on smite thee on the right cheek just gives a, 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 a good little thought here. Giving one's cheek to the smiter was a Hebrew proverb for meek submission. Meek submission. I think that's a, a great way of looking at it, and there's, there's a few scriptures that, we, just one we're going to touch on, we'll just reference the other. Isaiah chapter 50, verse 6. I gave my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face from humiliation and spitting. Isaiah chapter 50 is showing us what Jesus endured. And again, we can, here, here's the beautiful thing. We can have hard experiences. And he's like, wow, well, that's a beautiful thing? Yes, it is. We can have really hard and difficult and trying experiences and be misrepresented and misinterpreted and, and, and accused falsely and all of those things, but never to the point that Jesus had those experiences. And when it says in Isaiah, prophetically of Jesus, I gave my back to those who strike me. In other words, they, were, they had, they had the, the, the whip, and I turned so they could hit me. I let them 
hit me. And you say, why would he do that? Because Jesus was about something bigger. So he allowed the, the, uh, the, the humiliation of being tortured for things that were not legal, right, or, or even close to righteous because he was about something bigger than that. Also, Lamentations 3.30 mentions the same thing. We won't go into that at this point. Let's go to, let's pause here and again observe Jesus' own living of his own teaching. Luke 22, verses 63 and 64. Now the men who were holding Jesus in custody were mocking him and beating him, and they blindfolded him and were asking him, saying, prophesy, who was the one who hit you? Okay, so, you know, prophesy, who's the one who hit you? You know, Jesus could have. Oh, he could have told him. But he didn't. Because he didn't enter in. He turned the other cheek. They smote him on his right cheek, both literally and figuratively. And he responded to that figurative smiting with love and compassion and submission and humility. Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to a slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before her shearers. So he did not open his mouth. Okay, so Isaiah 53, again, another prophecy that details the reactions of Jesus. He was oppressed, he was afflicted, he was smitten on the right cheek, on his high. And, and you know, Jonathan, Jesus' highest, best authority was the direct representation of God's will on earth. You don't get higher or better than that. It reminds me of the verse, no greater love than this, that one lays down his life for his friends. And then he says after that, and you are my friends, if you do whatsoever I command you. So he's saying, here's the example of turning the other cheek. You go and do likewise. Live as I have lived. So what's our cheek turning lesson from this segment of looking at the right eye, the right hand, and the right cheek? Well, Rick, to turn the other cheek is the outward expression of a heart tuned into the kingdom. It's the outward expression of something that is deep inside of you. You can't really turn the other cheek unless you have that really deep conviction behind it. You can do it sort of on the surface, but that's not what this is. Jesus is showing us something bigger and stronger and better. So, with this understanding. We can see that turning the other cheek applies in every area of life. It is a central life lesson, but does Jesus use the turn the other cheek teaching as the culmination of his lesson, or is there more? We're constantly looking to our listeners for your feedback on our weekly episode discussions. Let us know if you'd like to hear more topics like this one or new topical suggestions. Keep your comments coming at ChristianQuestions.com and our Facebook page. We're also talking about topics in Reddit, and you should check us out helping answer questions on Quora. That's Q-U-O-R-A.com. We're engaging in combo everywhere. Thanks for listening, and get ready for us to take a deeper dive right now. So, Jonathan, not only is there more, Jesus makes this profound lesson of spiritual thinking the basis for his next level of lessons. He has been bringing us up a spiritual ladder, and just when we thought we were at the top, there are more rungs, and they are clear examples of turning the other cheek 
in different areas of life. So what we thought was the culmination, what so many people say, and Jesus said, turn the other cheek, and they stop there, is actually a major step in an even larger process. And to me, that is just utterly inspiring when you think about it in terms of that, that the, the largeness of this process that he gives us in Matthew 5 is totally life-changing. Jonathan, how about we do just a quick recap of how we got here? Sounds good, Rick. To abide by the letter of the law is a process that does not require a vast amount of maturity, wisdom, or foresight. It is a process we are all familiar with. As children, we were exposed to the letter of our parents' law. They told us we had to do it without understanding and perhaps without our personal well-being uh, compliant in the matter. So, you know, I'm sure you had that experience as a kid. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when mom or dad said so, mom or dad said so, and you knew that mom or dad meant it, right? For sure. <laughs> and you also knew there were consequences if you didn't. You got it. And so the letter of the law works that way. And the letter of the law requires compliance. That's what it's looking for. It's looking for compliance. It's looking for obedience. That's where the letter of the law is. Now, remember... Jesus in this whole lesson is saying, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, the letter of the law. But he says, but I say to you. So when he says, but I say to you, he's going to bring us up to something different. And now we've got to get to that something different. And to help us get there, let's go back to the Gandhi movie, um, the 1982 movie, that protest speech that uh, Gandhi is giving. And here, if you remember in the last soundbite we listened, he had, the, the crowd was riled up and they were ready to go fight. Here's what he does with that response. I say, talk means nothing. Kill off your officials before they disgrace one Indian woman. Then they might think twice about such laws. In that cause, I would be willing to die. I praise such courage. I need such courage because in this cause I too am prepared to die. But my friend, there is no cause for which I am prepared to kill. Whatever they do to us, we will attack no one, kill no one, but we will not give our fingerprints, not one of us. They will imprison us, they will fine us, they will seize our possessions, but they cannot take away our self-respect if we do not give it to them. What a powerful statement. They cannot take away our self-respect if we don't give it to them. So the big key here is understanding that he understood the power of, of uh, passive resistance the power of not getting involved in the wrangling, exactly what Jesus was here teaching us. So it, it, it's, a, it's a very inspirational thing because you know he commended those who were angry and he commended the courage that they were showing. And he's saying, however, let's take that courage now and let's turn it. Let's turn it a little bit and let's refocus it on something even better. So he's, he's following the example of Jesus. By saying, yeah, the letter of the law says, yeah, go get them. 
but there's something higher. You know, and, and it's interesting because earlier in the movie, um, there, there's a scene where Gandhi is talking with a, with a, uh, a Christian preacher. And they're talking about Jesus' teaching here. And Gandhi is, is referring to it. He says, yeah, I've given that a lot of thought. You know, <laughs> it's obvious because he's applying its principle right here. So let's go back to it. Matthew chapter 5, uh, verse 40. Another even higher step built upon turning the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Okay, a very simple phrase. And if anybody wants to take your shirt, let him have your coat also. Jesus was, again, quoting the law. So let's go back to where he got that statement, and let's just put it in perspective. Exodus chapter 22, verses 26 and 27. If you ever take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, you are to return it to him before the sun sets, for that is his only covering. It is his cloak for his body. What else shall he sleep in? And it shall come about when he cries out to me, I will hear him, for I am gracious. Okay, so in the Old Testament, you had this sense of actually taking somebody's cloak. And you say, well, wait, wait, how did, why would somebody do that? Again, let's go back to eclectic notes on this Old Testament verse because it, it describes it very clearly and succinctly. Cloak, the loose mantle, serving also as a blanket. Therefore, if a man's clothes were taken in a pledge, the cloak must be restored to him at sunset. Forgo even this right, says Jesus. Okay, so the idea of not being, having somebody be able to keep your cloak overnight was that you would get too cold. So if you gave your clothing, parts of your clothing, as a pledge for fulfilling some responsibility, the Jewish law was that that cloak had to be returned to you so you could have comfort while you slept so you could wake up in the morning and go fulfill your responsibility. Now, you may have to give your cloak back again to that other person and not have it for the day, but you had the ability to work and keep warm by moving, whereas at night it was there. So it was, a, it was part of the law that a lot of people don't look at that gave comfort to the individual who owed something. It was a, a sign of respect. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, respect and compassion between yes. human beings. Yes. But, but Jesus is saying, if they want to take your, your shirt, let them have your coat also. So, wait a minute. So he's saying, don't even bother to get your coat back? And you say, well, wait, wait, how, how, what is this meaning here? Well, let's take a look at a Christian standard from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 7. Actually, then... It is already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be defrauded? And Rick, being defrauded is no fun, <laughs> but it's the right thing to do for Christ-likeness sake. So, and, and that specifically, that First Corinthians scripture specifically is talking about issues between the brotherhood. That's right. And you know, it's interesting the way the apostle frames that. He says, it's already a defeat for you if you're going to law one against the other. What is wrong with you? That's basically what he's saying. You should not be so earthly, so worldly in your thinking. You should turn the other cheek. Right. Exactly. And again, turn, and remember, turn the other cheek is not just a physical thing. 
It is having your best representation, the most, the most powerful, best part of you, be misrepresented and be perhaps humiliated. And Jesus is saying to us, it's okay to let that happen. I did it. Paul is saying to us, why aren't you letting that happen? Why don't you allow those things to happen? So the turn the other cheek mentality goes far beyond some little physical altercation. You know, too many times, Jonathan, we, we like the drama of, be, of standing there and somebody getting hit and like, oh, look, and they turn the other cheek and wow, aren't they great? And yes, yeah, sure, that's great. But real life is much bigger than that two-minute event. Real life has long-term repercussions for turning the other cheek. And what happened to Jesus is he would stand for righteousness, but he would turn the other cheek consistently throughout his life, and it cost him his life. Not justly, entirely unjustly. And he was okay with it because that he came to give himself a ransom. So, to abide by the spirit of the law, the prepare for the kingdom thought pattern of turning the other cheek, what, what does it imply? Rick, it implies maturity, wisdom, and an understanding of spiritual foresight. So the letter of the law required obedience. The letter of the law told us that we just have to follow suit. The spirit of the law, what Jesus is teaching, says, no, I'm asking you for maturity. I'm asking you for wisdom. I'm asking you for understanding of what spiritual foresight is because your life is bigger than all of this. So what, what's the difference between the two? Well, the letter seeks an outward compliance to the law while the spirit seeks an inward compliance to the footsteps of Jesus. That's the key. Be willing to suffer for Christ's sake. Compliance to the law or s compliance to the footsteps of Jesus? Something very, very different, something so much higher and really so much more powerful because the footsteps of Jesus were footsteps that no one else had ever walked. And he invites us as Christians to follow in those steps. And can we do it well? No, not really. You know, and, and you know, sometimes you wonder about, <laughs> I do, I wonder oftentimes, what well, you know, God and Jesus must be looking at me and kind of like shaking their heads and laughing a little like, oh, Rick, come on, really? You know, because we're weak. We're just weak. We're feeble. We fall down. Our brains get tangled up inside themselves. At least mine does. <laughs> and, 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 you know, and again, it's just trying to comply to those footsteps, turn the other cheek. It's okay to not always be looked at, you know, in that high and mighty standard and allowing that to be, to be taken down, especially when it's unjust. Jesus goes further. Not only are we to um, give up that, that, uh, that sense of self-protection with the coat, and really that's really what it comes down to. It's that self-protection, you know, when we're most vulnerable. He said, don't, don't worry about that. He goes further, Matthew 5.41. Whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Okay, forces or compels you to go with him one mile, go with him too. And, and now let's go to a, a, a very specific example of that uh, near the end of Jesus' life, Matthew 27, 31 and 32. After they mocked him, they took the sacred robe off him and put his own garments back on him and led him away to be crucified. 
as they were coming out, they found a man of Cyrene named Simon, whom they pressed into service to bear his cross. Okay, Simon the Cyrenian uh, was the man who was pressed into service and had the privilege of helping Jesus carry the cross. And, you know, the idea of being pressed into service, I think, is what Jesus was, was, was talking about here. Whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, comments from Russell on this. In olden times, certain magistrates, governors, had the authority of law to press the service of the people for governmental work. The word compel in our lesson is from the same Greek word and refers to a similar legal compulsion. Commandeered would be the modern way of referring to such a matter. So whoever basically, you know, for, for whatever the, the, um, the, the reasons are, presses you into some kind of service, Jesus is saying, do it. Do it with grace. Do it with compassion. This is the prepare for the kingdom thought pattern of turning the other cheek. See, Jonathan, this is all still turning the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt and give, give them your cloak also, turn the other cheek. If they compel you to go one mile and go with them too, turn the other cheek. The prepare for the kingdom thought pattern of turning the other cheek implies a willingness to give beyond what might be required. And how should we do that giving? How about with grace? How about it? See, it's so important to not only do the things we're supposed to do them, but do them with the heart that we're supposed to do them with. You know, the being willing to, to give up your self-protection should be done with the, a heart toward God. Not that, you know, the pharisaical thinking of that would be, oh, I can show the people how much I'm willing to suffer. Just watch. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason and not at all be blessed. Here, we're talking about doing the right thing for the right reason. And I, I, let, let me rephrase that. Not doing the right thing for the right reason. Doing the spiritual thing. Because this, the right thing and the spiritual thing can be different because the spiritual thing is higher. It's harder. It's further along. It's beyond the right thing because it's a self-sacrificing thing. And Rick, so far, I, I'm, I'm getting the concept of in all aspects of our life, we need to be willing to do this, to rise above and to give of our best and do it with grace. Right. Every aspect, no matter what it is, that's what turning the other cheek is. It's not just about that little physical altercation. Again, one more verse from Matthew 5, Matthew five forty-two. Give to him who asks of you and do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. And again, this goes back to the Old Testament law, Deuteronomy 15, verse 7. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand from your poor brother. Okay, so again, we've got broader context on this verse in the bonus material as well. Seek your review on the full edition. If you don't get it on a regular basis, sign up for it uh, via our newsletter uh, or via the uh, Christian Questions app. It is a free service. It's a PDF document that is delivered to you each week to give you the lesson that we've talked about, all the scriptures, lots of the commentary, lots of graphics and illustrations. And again, more material on this portion in the bonus material at the end of the Rewind. Uh, sign up now, free service. So Jonathan here, again, 
It's about being generous. Jesus is here saying, live up to and well beyond the very highest and most selfless standard to sh- shown to you in the law. It, this, the law shows you a great standard. It says to be kind and be generous. But Jesus is saying, go even further. Don't ex- if you loan, don't expect something in return. Now look, this, he's not saying to be dumb with your belongings and give to somebody who's just looking to, to just take advantage of you and give them everything you have. That's not what he's saying at all. It's based on what the law said about those who are in need. It's based on being generous and kind and merciful. This is what turning the other cheek is the essence of. So what's our cheek-turning lesson for this segment? To turn the other cheek is reflected and expressed in giving, service, and generosity. Okay, giving, service, and generosity. Those in Matthew 5, 40, 41, and 42 each teach us that turning the other cheek is much, much bigger than we may have originally thought. So learning to truly turn the other cheek is a totally life-changing experience. It is absolutely monumental. So how do we, in our everyday life, go about turning the other cheek in a very practical way? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. Every profound teaching of Jesus always comes to this very point, the point where we say, wow, this is really an amazing lesson. What am I supposed to do with it? For most of us, applying such a lofty and spiritual standard to our everyday requires measured steps, beginning with an understanding of where we are starting. And Jonathan, you can't take a journey unless you understand where you are that you're starting. You have to start from somewhere. So we have to take a look at ourselves We have to say, okay, here's where I am. I've seen all of these different aspects of turning the other cheek, and frankly, it scares me to death because it's too big. It's too lofty. It's like, how am I supposed to do all of that? And the answer is one small step at a time. Let's just figure out what the important things are and then work on those little by little by little. Let's go to our last uh, Gandhi um, soundbite. Because remember now, he had taken the courage of his audience who wanted to go fight and, and, and be willing to die and said, look, I too am willing to die, but I'm not willing to take another man's life, nor will you. You will not do that. We will be passive in our rebellion. And you know, you think, how can you possibly rebel in that way? Listen to this final soundbite uh, for today. You know, I got to stop doing that. Here we go. Have you been to prison? They beat us and tortured us. I said it. I am asking you to fight. To fight against their anger, not to provoke it. We will not strike a blow, but we will receive them. And through our pain, we will make them see their injustice. And it will hurt, as all fighting hurts. But we cannot lose. We cannot. They may torture my body, 
break my bones, even kill me. Then they will have my dead body, not my obedience. You know, and, and Jonathan, the, the amazing thing is how he turned the crowd with that statement. Okay, what if? What if they kill me? They'll have my dead body, but they won't have my obedience because I didn't give it to them. And go ahead, you want to say something? The strength of being passive. Yeah. And, and I mean, when you look at the, the, the example of Jesus... Exactly. You see that, and, and again, Gandhi was well aware of, of the example of Jesus, and you see the power of his passiveness. And what, what it occurs to you is that, wow, he's really, really powerful. And he's so powerful, he doesn't have to strike anyone. I'm talking about Jesus. He doesn't have to lash out at anyone. He doesn't have to, because he's so powerful, he's beyond that. That is turning the other cheek. That's what we want to strive to get to. John 18, 35 and 36. Pilate answered, I am not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Here is the core value of how we can begin to understand how to turn the other cheek. That verse tells us exactly what we have to begin to focus on. So, practical cheek turning here is what? We begin with Jesus and the ultimate reason for turning the other cheek this world holds nothing of lasting value, and God's kingdom does. Okay, beginning with Jesus, the ultimate reason for turning the other cheek is that we're not supposed to be fighting for something in this world. Now, see, the interesting difference between Gandhi and Jesus is Gandhi was fighting for the worldly rights of those people. Good cause. There's no question about the nobility and the power of that cause. But the nobility and power of the cause of Christianity is even greater because the kingdom of God through Jesus and his true church will rehabilitate all mankind. So it is the most noble, courageous, honorable thing that we could possibly stand for. And to get there, it requires us to turn the other cheek. So realize that what we stand for is not of this world. And Jonathan, if we can get that, then you start to lose the, the desire to fight for things. Because like, why would I fight for this? It's not about the kingdom anyway. That's what Jesus did. That's what we need to get a hold of. Okay, so the first practical cheek-turning idea is this world holds nothing of lasting value. It's God's kingdom that we're supposed to be about. And if you're a Christian, that's all that you focus on. So that's how we get started with this, is we get our focus right. Next verse to get us to the next practical cheek-turning step is Matthew 10, 16 and 17. Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves, so be shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. 
but beware of men, for they will hand you over to the courts and scourge you in their synagogues. Okay, so Jesus is saying, I'm going to send you out like sheep in the midst of wolves. What great leader would do that? <laughs> you think about it, right? You look at that and say, wait, wait, wait. How is that even possible? And you expect us to go? And the answer is, yes, I do. Jesus says, yes, I do, because that's what I did. Why? Because my kingdom is not of this world. So this next practical cheek-turning lesson is built upon the idea, the understanding that it's the kingdom of God, not of this world, that we're about. So what's the next practical cheek-turning lesson? Know that your Christianity will not be generally met with openness and understanding. Okay, people aren't going to be like, oh, that's cool. They're not. They're going to look at it. They're going to look at those standards of righteousness and the standards of Christ-likeness and say, what, are you crazy? Because that's what they did to Jesus, and that's what we can expect that they would do to us. These standards are not going to be met with like, hey, they're, they're just part of everything. No, just understand that there's going to be conflict. Now, we're not trying to create conflict. No, we're not. We're trying to stand for something higher. And as, by so doing that inherently brings conflict. Again, you're not creating it, but as you stand for something higher, it's, it's gonna, conflict should find you. And if it doesn't ever find you, gotta ask yourself, what am I really standing for? Just, just a second thought, go ahead. And just like Jesus, it came from the highest religious people of his day. Yeah. And even with us, others from a Christian background might oppose our stand for the love that we have for the Lord and right. the kingdom. So, but it comes down to being scripturally sound with the footstep following of Jesus. All right, so, you know, we've got those first two aspects. This world holds nothing of lasting value. It's the kingdom of God that's important. And just realize that, you know, the standards of Jesus are not met with openness and understanding generally. So every turn of our lives gives opportunity for both spiritual and worldly response. The question is, which one are you going to choose? And that's not a question you can just answer once and you're fine. It's a question you have to answer again and again and again, sometimes moment by moment. Galatians 5, 13 to 16, we're going to break this into a couple of parts, is a good example of this. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, so the first part of this verse, it says, you were called to a great freedom. Obviously, I'm paraphrasing. But make sure that that great freedom stays spiritually minded, not fleshly minded. And then the apostle reminds us, love your neighbor as yourself, one of the Ten Commandments. Verses 15 and 16. And that starts with, but... If you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Okay, if you bite and devour one another, and Jonathan, this goes back to the thought that you, you, you brought out really early uh, in, in, in the podcast about sometimes our biggest challenges can come from within. So we've got to be careful about this Christian liberty that we're given. So what, what's our practical cheek-turning lesson? Well, Rick, Christian liberty is both the greatest opportunity and the greatest test of our lives. Seize the opportunity by seizing control of your human heart and mind. 
Okay. So you've got to seize the opportunity. How? By controlling your, your, your human heart and mind because it's the greatest opportunity and the greatest test. Christian liberty is both of those things. So, Jonathan, before we go on to the next point, uh, Trisha's got a comment that she wants to give us. <clears throat> yes, this is actually from the chat. Uh, they, this is a great scripture, First um, Peter 2, 20 through 23. I'll just read some of it. The comment says, The Apostle Peter expresses the same thought in a slightly different way, saying, If when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, this is acceptable with God, for even thereunto are you called, because Christ also suffered uh, for us. And then he says, um, <clears throat> Neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. And then the comment is really interesting. It says, sometimes turning the other cheek means taking a chunk out of your, out of your own tongue. We will need to bite our tongues many times, indeed. But being a big, the bigger person means doing this. No matter how much we want to fight, it is right to do so. All right, good. That's a good comment from the chat board. Thanks, Trish, for, for bringing, that, uh, bringing that out. And it really does fit in with our next thought. Just because we focus our hearts and minds toward Christ doesn't mean we'll be conflict-free. So, and, you know, part of conflict is our contribution, and that's what that comment was about. It was, you know, don't contribute to the conflict in, a, in an unnecessary way. First Peter 3, 8 and 9. To sum up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You know, and as you're reading that verse, Jonathan, I'm thinking of the way Trish was describing the comment. Sometimes you got to take a chunk out of your own tongue. You know, bite your tongue. That's what the apostle's saying here. He's saying, you know, be kind-hearted. Don't return evil for evil. Don't return insult for insult. Give blessing instead because... Why? You were called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. You can't inherit something of great spiritual value unless you live something of great spiritual value. And you can't live with great spiritual value unless you turn the other cheek. You just can't do it. Because this is part of the process of becoming a footstep follower of Jesus. So what's the practical cheek-turning lesson from 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9? Be intentional as you focus on rising to higher levels of turning the other cheek. Be intentional. Do it on purpose. Don't stumble into the attitude of turning the other cheek, but be intentional. That's what the apostle is saying here. All of you, be harmonious and sympathetic and brotherly and kind-hearted and be humble. He's saying do it on purpose. Don't kind of fall into it or feel like you're forced into it. That's not turning the other cheek. So, so Jonathan, the, the whole idea of turning the other cheek is being willing to be looked at in a, in, a, in a poor way because you're standing for something very, very high. It's being willing to be misunderstood. It's being willing to be misrepresented. It's be, being willing to be mistreated for the sake of Christ. Am I willing to do that? That is the question of turning the other cheek. Okay, our spiritual focus, we're almost out of time. Our spiritual focus is often finally and most thoroughly tested by our interactions with persecution. 
How do we react when those things happen to us? Romans 12, 14 to 17. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Okay, that's the first basic simple point. You're going to get persecuted. What are you supposed to do? Bless them. Don't curse them. Bless. What's next? Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Okay, so not only are you supposed to bless and not curse, now you rejoice. You enter in to the goodness of, of, those, of the lives of those around you. you. You enter into the sorrow of those around you. Be of the same mind toward one another. That requires humility. You can't be of the same mind with others by just saying, look, I'm always right, so you just get on board with me and we'll be fine. It doesn't work that way. It's got to come from humility. And then verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. Okay, never pay back evil for evil. Turn the other cheek. Respect what's right. Practical cheek-turning lesson here, our final one for today. Be willing to be wronged. Be engaged with those who are righteous. Live according to the righteous righteousness and peace at whatever personal experience is necessary. All right. Be willing to be wronged. This is the essence of this whole idea of turning the other cheek. So our final cheek-turning lesson. We've had one from each segment. What's the final lesson for today, Jonathan? Well, Rick, truly living a turning-the-other-cheek life is only possible when we realize that its humility must permeate every aspect of our thoughts, words, and deeds. That's what Jesus did. And that's the real point of this whole conversation today. That's what Jesus did. Having this humility permeate, just ooze out of every pore of your body, spiritually, physically, and otherwise. That's what turning the other cheek is. It's a way of life, of dignity in the face of disparagement. Of, of humility in the face of harassment. And it gives us a sense of real, true Christian value. And folks, isn't that what we're supposed to be about? Christian value. Look, turning the other cheek is a hard thing, but it can be done with a lot of practice, a lot of prayer, and a lot of help. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. We've certainly enjoyed talking to you about such an important subject. Turn the other cheek. Think about it. And folks, listen, we love, um, we, want you to he- we want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is. Please rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Coming in next week, we'll be talking about Are There Biblical Secrets to a Good Marriage? Again, Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions. Talk to you next week.